0: Welcome to AIR's EdCast, a podcast brought to you by the Education Policy Center at American Institutes for Research. Through EdCast, we bring researchers and practitioners together to discuss some of our nation's biggest educational challenges. Our first podcast series focuses on social emotional learning, a critical set of skills for succeeding in today's workforce and in civic life. Our host is Nick Yoder of American Institutes for Research. Nick is a former Chicago Public School teacher and has 13 years of research experience, including evaluating social-emotional learning programs. Nick's guests today are David Osher and Eric Gordon. David Osher is a Vice President and Institute Fellow at American Institutes for Research and a national expert on social-emotional learning. Eric Gordon is CEO of the Cleveland Metropolitan School District and a two-time finalist for the Council of the Great City Schools Richard R. Green Award, recognizing him as one of the nation's top 10 leaders in urban education. Here's Nick.
1: Thanks, Alex. Today, we would really want to explore what social-emotional learning, or SEL, is and what it looks like in practice. So, David, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us what SEL is and why it is important right now?
2: Sure. Hi, Nick. Um, SEL involves both the skills and neurological capacities to both understand and manage your emotions and relationships. And a good way of thinking about SEL is it involves five key skills. Um, It's the skill to be self-aware. It's the skill to manage yourself. That includes your your emotions, your attention and things like that. It involves being socially aware, um, in the situations you are. It can include being socially aware in bicultural and multicultural situations. It involves relationship skills, just as we have right now, or those that exist that Eric and I use when we work together. But if, and if you think as a teacher, it, it's the relationship skills that students have to use when they're in in cooperative learning situations, for example. And it involves pulling these things together to be able to make responsible decisions, the right decisions at the right time, in a culturally competent way. And so it's all these individual skills, but the ability to bring them together and harness them so that you can be more effective in what you do. And also you can contribute through the environments that you provide for other people to enable them to be more effective in what
1: they do. Eric, why does your district place such value on social and emotional learning? Well, Nick, social
3: emotional learning for Cleveland is both a head
1: and heart issue. I'm going to start with the
3: heart. In 2007, we had a young man come into one of our high schools, uh, shoot two teachers and two students, and then take his own life. And we said on that day that we would never stop talking about that moment because when we stopped talking about that moment, we would stop responding and ensuring that it didn't happen again. So that's the heart. Uh, When we dug into then what causes a young person to feel so desperate that the only solution that they have is to harm others and themselves. uh, We found that Cleveland is a city that is dealing with uh, very, very deep childhood poverty. We're the second uh, highest poverty for children in the nation. Uh, We have a system Um, both in homes and in our community and in our schools, of harsh disciplinary consequences for often very uh, insignificant kinds of behaviors. And we found that when we were exploring solutions to that, social-emotional learning was directly related to stronger achievement in schools. And so when we were looking to respond to that tragedy, uh, social-emotional learning, the principles of social-emotional learning, and then the tools and resources that we could put around them really made sense for Cleveland. Um, fast forward to today, uh, the district has invested now for seven years in a suite of resources and supports and curriculum that has really built a culture around social emotional learning as important. And it's helping us to respond to some of the unrest we're even seeing in our, our city and our nation uh, going on today. So it, it's a head and heart issue for us.
1: And Eric, how have your teachers and students responded to the social and emotional learning initiatives that that have been occurring in Cleveland?
3: You know, people often ask me, how did you get teacher buy-in? You know, the teachers in Cleveland really want their kids to have a great life. And they really uh, are concerned about the conditions that our families and children often find themselves in. So the buy-in was really easy. When we said that we could be very intentional in our behaviors in training our kids to have better experiences that was something that teachers really responded to. And in fact, our teachers union uh, has been a key leader in the implementation of all of our SEL strategies in the district. As for students, it's a natural part of what we do. We start teaching social and emotional learning in an explicit way in our kindergarten and preschool classrooms, and we teach it explicitly through grade five. We have curriculum written through grade 12, but it's intentional uh, at through grade five. And we actually have data through our assessments that shows that it is worked and that kids have much higher levels of social emotional learning skills now today in the district than when we started this seven years ago.
1: David, what are some reasons that social emotional learning is so successful in schools and in classrooms?
2: Education and learning both involve one's own ability to manage yourself. And at the same time, they always take place within social circumstances. And If you can't handle the challenges of those social circumstances, they both undermine your ability to do your own work, but also both directly through your impact on other students and on your teachers and indirectly through how teachers respond to how other students are responding to you and vice versa, you really affect the nature of what's going on in the classroom.
3: And I would add to that, it's very different than character education, uh, and which a lot of people kind of conflate. It's not that teachers or other adults are telling kids what they should believe and how they should believe. It's instead giving them explicit strategies of how to interact with people who have very different beliefs. So it would be foolish of me as a white man in Cleveland to tell a African-American mother of three who lives in poverty what she should believe but it is important for me to help her children know how to manage their selves and manage themselves with others uh, so that when there is conflicts in what we all believe we know how to effectively deal with those strategies so that it's a science of how we interact that lets us be more productive uh, as, as learners as citizens um, as members of
2: our society you know, nick the first Basic research I ever did was back in 1965 when I was asked to look at the relationship between IQ and performance over life. And what I found out is not that IQ doesn't matter. You really do want to have a high IQ, like about 125 is measured. But anything after that is really about personality. And what's so important for people both in school and in life is not just being smart, but also being able to make smart decisions. And those involve your ability to handle your emotions, to read situations. Eric, I'm curious as to what are
1: some some of the first steps or policies, policy decisions that you needed to make in order to get SEL off the ground? running in Cleveland?
3: So it was a really interesting time in Cleveland. We were broke. Uh, We didn't have any resources to put in. We were laying off teachers uh, and cutting millions of dollars out of the budget. And so uh, one real strategy decision we had to make is where and how do you start when you don't have any real resources? (laughs) Uh, What we decided to do was align it to literacy um, and so we identified programming that we would uh, embed directly into our literacy instruction block, and we did that because we have to teach literacy anyway, so it wasn't an add-on, uh, it was a in-with. Kind of strategy, we had to make a decision about whether we would do something system wide or or pilot and stand up and then uh, spread. Um, We feared that if we did a pilot, we'd never have the resources to bring to scale. So we launched a system wide strategy, but that was a policy decision that we weighed. Uh, we just had to decide would we work with a you know core group of schools uh, K through 12, uh, or whether we would start at a grade band. We decided to start with all kindergarten through fifth grade students and we did it in a two- year phase in um, and with the notion that those kids would grow into the system over time. Um, and so those were some of our early policy decisions. Since then we've actually gone beyond that to consider policy decisions like how do you regularly assess? your SEL strategy and the the actual achievement of children with SEL skills. Uh, What the curriculum is K through 12 in the organization is a policy decision. We've built this into our compensation structure in Cleveland so teachers actually can get on a um, stipend uh, for meeting SEL goals in their schools. And we've actually embedded it in our teachers' union contract so that we have clear, explicit rules about how we interact with uh, the delivery of instruction. So uh, you, you have to start with a launch place, but you also have to think from a systemic point of view if it's really going to be part of the work of your school system.
1: David, uh, we know Cleveland is one of the national leaders in social and emotional learning and social and emotional learning integration, Um, but I'm really wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how other states and districts are using various policy levers to integrate social and emotional learning uh, into their schools and classrooms.
2: Sure. Some states and districts are really starting to rethink how they think about learning and really are now focusing on the whole child. Academics is a piece of it, but if you're not dr- addressing other things, you don't even improve academics. And at the same time, you're not addressing other things that are important to the success and well-being of young people. A second piece is articulating, as Cleveland has done, a set of academic and social and emotional learning standards so people can crosswalk and know what they're trying to do. A third thing is Putting assessments in place so that you know that young people are improving, so that you know that your interventions are working. Because what measured, what is measured gets attended to. And if you don't measure it, it's much less likely that people are going to attend to it. And at the same time, what is measured can also help you improve. And if you don't find out where you're not succeeding, then you're not able to make the adaptations that are necessary. And I think it's really to think about what are the supports that people need at a district and a school level so they're able to change their practices and really become expert in doing this work.
1: David and Eric, I want to thank you uh, for, for participating in our, in our first podcast. Alex, back to you.
0: Thanks to Nick, Eric, and David, and thanks to our listeners for joining us today. For more information on this podcast, visit edupolicycenter.org.